wanna be in the know About how we put together our little show If you'd like to hear the puppeteers And play the characters that you cheer So join us as we go, go, go Below the frame on this episode of Below the Frame, I get to talk with Sesame Street Muppet performer Fran Brill, the fabulous Miss Brill. We'll talk about her life as an actress, her first meeting with Jim Henson, and of course, Prairie Dawn. We're also going to hear another story and listen to a song by the great Jerry Nelson. So welcome, oh welcome, it's time to go Below the Frame. Go, 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 Below the Frame. Welcome to Below the Frame. I'm Matt Vogel, and I am so pleased to be able to bring you these conversations on this little podcast. Uh, I hope that you are enjoying listening every week, and if you are, please let us know on social media. We are on Instagram, at Below the Frame, on Twitter, at Below Frame, no the, for some reason, and on Facebook, you can find us by searching for Below the Frame with Matt Vogel. You can also find me on social media, if that's your thing, on Instagram and Twitter, at Welcome Matt V, that's Welcome Matt with two T's and a V, and on Facebook by searching for Matt Vogel. Good luck with all of that. I hope to hear from you all. Okay, now that that is out of the way, today on Below the Frame, I'm so excited to bring you this interview with the lovely and talented Fran Brill. She's Muppet royalty. She's a wonderful person, and she's an actor and, of course, Muppet performer who originated two of the most famous female characters on Sesame Street, Prairie Dawn and Zoe. Okay. I am ready, and I'm not even going to ask you if you're ready, because I know that you are. So let's go Below the Frame with Fran Brill. Below the Frame. So Fran, how are you? I'm good. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for... How are you, I'm good. I'm great. I'm doing fantastic. Good. Uh, I, I want to begin by taking us back to the beginning, where you grew up. I- I can't remember. Oh, you where did can. I grow up? Sure, oh, that's yeah. easy. Yeah, right. where'd you grow up? I grew up in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Actually, the town that I grew up in was called Wallingford, Pennsylvania. Wallingford. Wallingford. But I went to Swarthmore High School from my seventh seventh grade till when I graduated. So I often say I'm from Swarthmore because I spent more time really there. Is that a, a suburb of Philadelphia? Is it near there or is it? Yes, it is. It's a suburb. It's about uh, an hour away, you know, driving from Philadelphia. Is it north or it's south? Uh, it is south. I'm south quizzing east. you because my, my mom is from a, a town called Feasterville, which is around Philadelphia as well, but I think it's north. East. I don't know Feasterville. I think, uh, isn't this terrible? I don't, I don't remember where. Well, I don't know. All I know is that, you know, we would go to Wanamaker's for the Easter outfit. You know, Wanamaker's was the big department store. Did your mom go to? I don't know. Yeah, she must have. Well, she was there just for a few years and then she moved to Independence, Missouri. Okay. Okay. What did your family do? What were your parents? My father was a doctor. He was a a good old Marcus Welby, you know. Family doctor? Family doctor. He delivered babies the whole nine yards. Wow. So free, free medical care for you as a kid. Free medical <laughs> care for me. And my husband's father was also a GP family physician. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, I think it was, well, we, we do go out in the world practicing medicine ourselves. You do? Of I don't know if do. you should do that. I don't think. No, you if somebody do that. has an ailment, I'm more than happy to help <laughs> them with a cure. I don't. Well, all right. I, I don't think I, that's a great I, well, idea. I know as much about being a doctor <laughs> as he did. Why not? All right. That's fair. Fair enough. When you were a kid, what, is, what were the things that you did? What did you do to entertain yourself? Wow. Uh, I don't remember all that much. I didn't, I didn't have that many dolls, you know? I don't mm-hmm. think I, I don't think I, I mean, I did, uh, but it wasn't like a big, big deal to me. I don't remember much before really the sixth grade when I was a brownie, because I thought this was the question you were going to ask me. But, What's that? Uh, well, it, it's like, you know, when did you, when did you decide you were wanted to be a performer or well, something? That's the like next that? question. As, as, a, that's, yeah. as opposed to a nurse or a doctor, right, which really right. would have made much more sense. It would have, but I can see. Based on my background yeah. and my ability to diagnose. Um, yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I was a brownie in Troop 303, 
uh, we did a play. And what was very cool about this play is that it was about older girls. So in other mm. words, these sixth graders were playing teenagers, which was very uh. amazing. But I did not get that role of the oh. teenagers. I got the role of the great Aunt Ella. Oh, a character role. Exactly. And I had, um, I, I got a wig and I had a long skirt and I had a cane, all the cliches you could possibly want. Yeah. But the good part about this is that I kind of stole the show because <laughs> it was so funny to see this little girl come on playing the great Aunt Ella. So I think I reacted so positively to that you know, of the approbation, the applause, being funny. Uh, I think that's really when I got bitten by the bug. That was and it. then all through high school, junior high school, I was in community theater, doing oh. play after play. And then, uh, of course, then when I was, I mean, I just knew this is what I was going to choose. Wow. From six from sixth grade on, you were like, I'm yeah. in, this is me. Yeah, that was it. Well, I think that's, you know, if I had been uh, a great scientist and had mixed up a couple mixtures in the basement, I probably would have done that too. But yeah. this this was pretty easy, and it came naturally to me. And um, so, wow. so you went yeah. to Boston University. I went to yeah, yep. Yeah. I really was... wanted to go to New York immediately, but my parents, um, who just that that was not going to happen. So they said, uh, no, you we want you to go to college. So we compromised. And I went to a school that, you know, where there was an excellent drama department mm -hmm. uh, at the School of Fine Arts at Boston University. And it was, was four great years. Was that a conservatory program? Was it like you did acting pretty much all the time or was it? Yeah, but we also had we also had to take like a uh, history of drama. No, right. but of we course. did. Well, yeah. But but we also I mean, I did have to take real, real school stuff. OK. You know, um, uh, but I would say everything that I did and was interested in was, you know, dance and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> oral interpretation was right. another one. Uh, I just was so hell bent on learning as much as I could, and I was just I was cast in so many plays. It was invaluable. It really was. Were your parents supportive of your idea of of you wanting to be an actor? Not really. No, not really. And do you think they said, well, let's send her to college. She will look, she'll see the world a little bit. It's a kind of a safe environment. And then she'll probably decide to do something else. Could be. I don't, I don't think we ever discussed it, but they allowed me by that time. I had, I mean, at age 16, I was the Bucks County Playhouse. Oh my God. I was an apprentice, but I was also acting in little parts there. Really? And then I went on to do summer stock in Belport, Long Island and, you know, how they agreed to do this, the only way I can figure is that I had an older sister, six and a half years old, who they were so strict with that when I came along, it was like, <laughs> hell's a poppin. Yeah, yeah. You know? and I <laughs> Let it do very, whatever she wants to do. <laughs> exactly. I was very strong headed and very willful. And I think the easiest way to raise me was just to say yes. Ah, so it. I was amazed at age 16, I went off to summer stock and, uh, and then I, you know, my whole life was that I would, you know, I was in high school, but I was also doing all these community theater plays. So, yeah, we have that a little bit in common. I was, when I wanted to be an actor growing up in, in high school, when I decided that's what I wanted to do, I did classes at a, at a children's theater and I did their professional shows there whenever they would hire me to do professional shows. And then I spent right. summers there and then that was, you know, that was what I wanted to do. Yeah. I think that helps because you get used to the life you get, you get used to the craziness of rehearsing. Well, one of my summer stock jobs was at the Thomas Wolfe Playhouse. Now this is when I was in college, uh, but we did, we did a new play every two weeks. And we also, you know, uh, painted the set if need be and did everything yep. else. But we did Shaw, we did O'Casey, we did a restoration comedy school for scandal. Oh, oh. yeah. Well, these, these kids that did it were Yaleys in the ah. theater department. But, uh, 
oh my gosh, I just, and I just remember the pressure and the craziness of, you know, literally the, 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 the paint on the floor was wet a half an hour before the curtain went up. Oh you know? man. Yeah. Just getting it, it was, up on it its great. feet. I mean, yeah. who, who gets to do those roles? I, I know. Not I was the widow Quinn at age, <laughs> you know, 20. <laughs> yeah. Because back in sixth grade, you were also this, uh, you know, great character role. And then now, yeah, right. when you get, when you got out of college, did you go immediately to New York then? You're like, well, I'm going to New York. No, my plan was to do regional theater for a few years, get some credits under me, and then come to New York with a resume. Otherwise, ah. I'm just a graduate of Boston University. However, my first job was at Theater Atlanta, where I got uh, hired to be a, it's where I got my equity card, and it's where I uh, got to play roles, even though I was a journeyman. If mm -hmm. I don't know how much people are going to understand about this, but it was fabulous. And, and then the crazy thing was that one of the shows we did got moved to Broadway. Yes, that was Red, White, and Maddox. Yes, Wasn't everyone's it? favorite show, yes, I'm sure. Ended up in New York. It, was, it says, I looked up the, the playbill for it. You can look up the playbills. And the playbill yes. says it's called A Thing with Music. Ah, I, I didn't even remember it, that. Is it a musical? It was a musical. And did you sing in the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were all, there was the guy uh, playing Maddox and the Lester Maddox. And I think he was the only, yeah. And the rest of us were an ensemble and we were dressed in, costumed in uh, red, white, and blue with like a bow here, as I recall. And uh, we sang all these songs. And uh, what happened is that Time Magazine sent a reporter to go review this thing. And based on that, all these producers started bidding to bring the show to New York. Wow. And that's what happened. There I was, 21 years old, on Broadway, thinking, <laughs> this is a snap. Everybody back home <laughs> How said, easy this hey, is. I'll never make it. You know, it'll take <laughs> and, your and your first big show, and you made it. That's right. They're on Broadway. And I, I thought, wow. And our opening night was at Sardi's. It was just, oh. uh, however, little caveat, <laughs> it closed after, I think, 40, 41 performances because we opened in a blizzard. Oh, and that didn't help. And then, uh, you know, the reviews were okay. But, I mean, it wasn't a great thing. But um, that was how I landed in New York. And then the rest is just struggle struggle audition other jobs modeling bras at lady marlene uh, <laughs> you know all of those wacko jobs right. that everybody does and somewhere along the way you answered an ad that is correct and, uh, but now this was, this is where all the muppet fans ears are going to perk up because what was that ad for oh him? well it was in um I think it was in backstage, actually, mm -hmm. but it was either that or the other periodical who's, I don't even know if they're still in existence. Everything's probably online now. But anyway, let's say it was in backstage and it, right. it just said that Jim Henson was looking to train wannabe, he didn't use that phrase, but, you know, wannabe puppeteers. But I have to back up a little. I had started being hired to do voiceovers. That's really how I started earning my money because I would go into an agent's office and they say, oh, you have a kind of quirky voice. And I said, oh, all right. Like this, <laughs> and, uh, so they said, would you like to go out on voiceovers? And I thought, do you earn money doing that? Sure, why not? So, um, so I was actually sitting in an agent's office when I was reading this, this ad. And um, I also, this is the important part, going on rounds every day with my eight by 10 glossy and trying to get representation after Red, White and Maddox closed, doing all of that horrible stuff. That's when, and then I started doing the voiceovers and stuff, but I would watch this first season of this new children's television show called Sesame Street. And before that, I always watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because I believe that was the order that they were airing in New York. Because after a day of trudging, you know, with your eight by 10 and going, thank you, <laughs> and then leaving, yeah. I had to get cheered up, that's for sure. So I would come home and watch those two shows. 
And then while watching Sesame Street, because I'm always thinking, how can I, you know, how can I take what I have? I thought, you know what? I, I wonder if they just need voices to do some of that animation or, you know, whatever. Never, ever thinking about being a puppeteer. Of course not. That right. wasn't even on my wavelength. But I thought that maybe the show could use me as a voice person in some way. So when this I saw was before this, the then 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 you saw the ad and then you saw this the ad before and then I saw the ad uh -huh. and I so when I made the phone call and everything it was really to hey can you can you use me as a voice person I see you know the old ride in the direction the horse is going which yes. I tell people so for me my leading thing at that point was uh, voices so. So then, um, and I talked to Jim on the phone, and I did, said, you know, I'm an actor. Did you know who Jim Henson was before? You yeah, know, you were talking. I mean, to I don't no. think I never watched the Jimmy Dean show, mm -hmm. but I did know who he was, probably from Ed Sullivan or other things. Uh, I knew who he was, sure. Um, and now I knew who he was from because of this was the Jim Henson's Muppets on this right. show. And so you're so, talking to him. So I thought, you know, I said, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to know if you could use me for, uh, for voices because I, you know, my acting background, I, I told him I had just closed in a Broadway show and I think maybe that sounded good to him. And I said, you know, I know I can sing and I can do voices and I can do accents. That's all part of the actor's baggage, you know? And he said, well, we don't do it that way. All of the, the puppeteers do their own voices. And I went, oh, very disappointed, you know. And he said, well, why don't you just come over, you know, anyway? Um, so, you know, he didn't say to audition. It was just sort of, I'm sure his mind was going, well, I didn't know how to puppeteer when I first started either, you know, and hey, she's got half of the stuff already. All I have to do is teach her manipulation. I don't <laughs> right. know. I really yeah. never asked him. I uh. would have been great to say, Jim, why did you hire me? Um, so, uh, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks later, I went in. Do you want to hear this whole oh, boring absolutely. story? absolutely. Yeah, it's not uh, boring at all. It's oh, okay. fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah if, okay. as long as you feel so, like you want to tell um, it. I went over and there was uh, Jim and Frank Oz. And, I don't know uh, who that is. Who's uh, which one you is don't Frank? Need to know. You know, he's, he's not important. important. Okay, he's good. Not important to the story. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a wall to ceiling mirror and this big black box, which turns out to have a lot of puppets in it. So you know, he was very pleasant and asked me, you know, a little about myself. And then basically, he said, you know. Um, stick your hand into this box and pull out a puppet and let's see what you can do with it and whatever. And then as Jim would, he would say, well, you know, try a different voice or try making that sillier or make it higher or make it lower, you know, to see how flexible you were and stuff like that. And maybe I would do an accent and it was all terribly easygoing. It didn't feel like an audition. Um, you know, it just was like a fun time. And I felt like uh, when I walked out of there that, uh, well, also we improvised a little bit. Mm -hmm. I should say that. We did improvise. There were some scripts. So Jim and Frank, but there, we, we laughed a lot. It was very easy. I think it was a good vibe. And uh, I but left. When, and when you walked out, were you like, ah, I don't need to do that? Or were you like, that's an interesting thing? Um, you were you intrigued by it? In yeah, I was intrigued. But I, 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 I did think, well, they seem to like me, you know, mm -hmm. please God, let them like me. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. seemed to like me. And I felt like I, you know, I came up with some stuff that wasn't, you know, I thought I, I held my own, but I really didn't care about getting this job because it was nothing like what I wanted to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, we're going to put a pin in our talk with Fran Brill. So we can learn a little bit about Jerry Nelson. We've done this a few times now on Below the Frame. Jerry Nelson, of course, legendary Muppet performer of The Count, Floyd Pepper, Robin the Frog, and, and so many others. But he wrote short stories about his life, memories of events along the way. And I have asked people who knew Jerry to contribute a memory of him and then read one of his stories. Well, today, Martin P. Robinson is going to do just that. 
Marty? When I first met Jerry Nelson, it was at a recording session. The producers of Sesame sent me there to meet him, uh, watch the session, get acquainted. Uh, it was uh, Jerry and Jim and Frank, and I think Richard Hunt was there. And afterwards, I asked, uh, introduced myself and asked Jerry in my uh, best enthusiastic young puppeteer voice, Gee, Mr. Nelson, you got any pointers on this Snuffleupagus, sir? And he, <laughs> he said, Yeah, start smoking and start drinking right now. Uh, <laughs> So that was my introduction to him in person. I had known him by reputation, also from working with Bill Baird. I had worked with Bill in 1977 and heard lots and lots of stories about Jerry Nelson on stage and off stage and shenanigans backstage. Uh, so I was very much looking forward to uh, meeting and working with him. 1963, Bill Baird. When people ask me how I became a puppeteer, I jokingly reply, I lied and wore cowboy boots. The basis of that comes from the time I first went to see Bill Baird about a job. A friend, Jerry Contis, told me about an article in the New York Post that said Bill Baird needed a puppeteer to complete his company for a New England tour. I was between jobs, so I called and set up an appointment to audition. Now, the only experience I had with puppets was watching them on early television. And when I was around 12, I had a small marionette I got for Christmas. So, when Bill asked me if I had experience, I did what any actor worth his salt would do. I exaggerated. Oh, sure, I said. I used to do shows for kids in the neighborhood. This was not strictly a lie. I did show friends how I could make my little policeman marionette run and walk and jump and climb. But whether lie or mere exaggeration, I had the base knowledge of how a string puppet worked and the confidence that I could do it. I was wearing cowboy boots, the second part of my equation, which Bill told me to remove before climbing up onto the travel stage bridge. This was a rig of interlocking aluminum pipes with two parallel walkways, each two feet in width, with a 30-inch gap between, six feet above the stage in the middle and nine feet to the floor behind. The overall length of this bridge was about 20 feet. The front walk on the audience side had curtains hung to hide everything but the stage. The back walk had, off the backside, an extension of wire cloth to keep the feet of the puppets hung from a rail above from dangling into the view of the audience. The bridge, or walkways, were suspended from two towers, one on either side, and these two towers each had small hand puppet stages at their bases. Bill explained how the puppet controls worked, much more sophisticated than my simple store-bought puppet, told me to get familiar with it and call him when I was ready. The puppet was a goon, a henchman, from his Man in the Moon show. The goon was wearing a trench coat and fedora and was holding a tommy gun. He was about 26 inches tall as opposed to my cop's 9-inch height, but the theory and premise was the same. I worked with it for I don't know how long, in fact, I got wrapped up in it, and all of a sudden, Bill was there, asking if I was ready. Without missing a beat, I turned the goon and pointed the gun at Bill and said in my best goon voice, Hey, Baird, the mob thinks this Nelson kid is okay. We want you should give him a job. Think it over. Very carefully. Bill asked me to walk him across the stage, step across to the front bridge, and walk him back, which I did and he told me to hang up the puppet, come back down, and put on my boots. He then took me downstairs to the office and said to his wife, Cora, Cora, we found our other puppeteer. When I left, I was walking about two feet off the pavement. I had a job with the famous Bill and Cora Baird. My elation was in part that I had a job, but mostly because I knew their work from early television and somehow suspected I was off on what turned out to be the biggest adventure of my life. I worked for Bill Baird from 1963 off and on until 1965 when I went to work for Jim Henson. I joined Bill again in 1966, but occasionally did variety show work with Jim, always asking Bill if it was okay with him. Bill liked Jim and his work and never minded. I enjoyed working marionettes until 1967 when I saw Bill fall off the back of the stage. He landed with a thud and bounced under the stage another two-foot drop after the nine-foot fall from the bridge. I was never easy on a bridge after that and eventually followed two sirens out west, but that's another story. 
Bill came out of that with a vertical fracture of the vertebrae and was in the hospital for a few weeks. Thanks, Marty. Coming up in a bit, a song from Jerry. But now, back to my interview with Fran Brill. We were talking with Fran about her first audition with Jim Henson, and because she wanted to be an actor, she didn't really care about getting a job with the Muppets. It was just a way to earn money, really, because they were going to pay, and they did pay us to take this two-week course. And it was like $75 a week. Woo! Mm, Wow, yeah. So at this um, this course, they taught you lip sync. They taught you. This was the old, you know, we we practiced in the mirrors and we we really uh, lip sync to songs mostly is what I remember. Mm -hmm. And after the first week, they let some people go who were even less talented than I was. And then and then I finished the second week. And, uh, you know, the most difficult thing, of course, was the old oh my God, it's backwards and all of this yes, stuff. Looking at a arm straight yeah. and the multitasking that is yes. puppeteering. It is really one of the top multitasking jobs. Yes. And um, so, so that's, so it was that training of lip syncing. And then um, in that group, of course, was Richard Hunt. Oh, you knew that, right? I did. I don't think I knew that. No. Thank goodness. Yes. Out of that. Well, some of us uh, after the second week were asked to do, uh, this show, which was the Ed Sullivan uh, Christmas special starring Art Carney. Yes. And Richard was one of those people, and I was one of those people. And I took the job because, again, it was paying me, and it actually was kind of fun. Yeah. And uh, so we went to Toronto and shot that. And then, I mean, this was all so quick, it's crazy, because the workshop was in the spring, we shot this in Toronto in July, and by September, I was working on Sesame Street, as was Richard. Oh my so God. what happened is the Sullivan the, the thing was over, and then Jim said, uh, would you like to do Sesame Street this season? And I went, what? <laughs> and <laughs> this I is said, so fast. I said, you know, it's fun. It's fun, but I'm. I want my face to be. I'm an actor, so I want my face to be seen. And he said, "Well, look, just we'll we'll just just try it. Try it. You know, it was it's, to think about it is ridiculous." He's like begging. I know. And I probably. <laughs> I don't know. And and so he said, "You know, just see how see how you like it." So, of course, I signed up. There was my acting teacher from Boston University. Will Lee, who played Mr. Hooper. And he looked at me and I looked at him and it was like, what are you doing here? (laughs) I mean, he was stunned. Uh. He was a puppeteer and I'm looking at him like, oh, good, you got this job. It just, you know, life is so crazy. It is so bizarre how that happens. It is. It is. It's life is what happens when you're making other plans. There yeah. is no doubt about it. And That's ride right. in the direction the horse is going. That's right. Two so of the most important things. Ride in the direction. But what if I don't have a horse? Well, you have to create your own horse. Oh. Oh, fine. You have to find your own horse. It's not an actual horse. It's not a no. real horse. Because those seem expensive no. and, and a lot no. to keep. No. no. So you were able to do... You really wanted to be an actor, but then you were also being paid to be a puppeteer on Sesame Street. Right. You were you were able to continue doing acting. And, yes. And yeah. in fact, you've been on a lot of. Uh, we'll come back to Sesame Street in a second. Well, that was that was the deal. Was like Jim said, okay, and, and the first thing I did was the first season, and I was doing the effect of gamma rays on Man in the Moon marigolds in Washington <laughs> D.C. Oh. Doing the show, flying back to New York, doing Sesame Street. Flying back to, that was the craziest time in my oh. whole life, I think, was doing that. Wow. That, and how long did that go on that you were having to... Just that first season, which at that time, I don't think it was that. I don't... Well, the show only ran for about three weeks, too. But that was nuts. That was pretty nutty. But Jim was so terrific from the get-go. He always would preface things with, you know, just let us know when you have time. You know, oh. in other words, they were writing inserts that they would shoot in a chunk of time. 
And if I said, you know, well, I'll be free in June or July or whatever, he they would write Prairie Dawn stuff or, you know, he was so, so wonderful and oh. so tolerant and so um, easygoing about that. That would never happen now because the schedule's horrendous for, you know, yeah. the time spent. You know, I never spent 12 hours on the set on Sesame Street in those days. Uh, it's it, it was just all different, you know. Yeah, it's a what it's, you shot. It was yeah, very simple. You did the, the narrative on the street for a little bit of while, and then you had these days after days after days of just shooting inserts, which were just the Muppets, mostly on the wall or something like that. Right. Green screen, you know. Yeah, all the easy. It was easy. Tough stuff. It was easy. Oh, yeah. Uh, you did mention Prairie Dawn there a minute ago. Yes. Is it true that you helped create her? You helped create who she was? No, Zoe, yes. You helped create Prairie Zoe. Prairie Dawn, no. I was given specific instructions. Oh. Jim. And what, so what First was what all, were this Jim's? puppet called Little Pink already yep. existed, but she wasn't Prairie Dawn. And you know how Prairie Dawn got her name? Uh, it was an actress's, you had, somebody had seen it on a call sheet. Was it you that had seen it on no, the call No, I sheet? saw an eight by 10 of hers at one of the agent's office, but her name was Prairie Dern. Prairie Dern. And I came running back to Jim and said, <laughs> I just saw this crazy name, Prairie Dawn. And it was so off the wall that I knew Jim would like it because yeah. he loved unpredictable stuff like that. So you so helped she, a little bit to create her. You came up oh, with Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty but he, good. But I, he specifically said, we want a very sweet, docile little girl because we don't have any little girls. All the right. girls are being played by men at this time, <laughs> right. which, of course, was hysterically funny. Yeah. But I think at that time, everyone was getting very conscious that there were no uh, real representations of females on the show, of course. Puppet wise, I mean, you had Sonia and right. uh, Susan and all that, but but not um, with the Muppet characters. Not with the Muppet characters. I mean, I was just the right person at the right time in the right place. Yeah. Women's Lib was banging its drum <laughs> and all of that. They had, and I think Dulcie was probably behind that. Dulcie Singer, who was a producer, she really wanted to have a female on the show. So. Hey, why not her? So, yeah. She's already done the Ed Sullivan special. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Put a puppet on her. Yeah. And so you had this oh, character named Prairie Dawn, and, and they wanted her to be sweet and, oh, yes. and docile. What happened? Not <laughs> what happened to Prairie Dawn, but how Me. did she then become? I, I, is that what it is, really? Is it that your influence? I think so. The I writing just came in. I help myself. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. I mean, I am not a sweet, docile person by nature. I mean, I'm easy to get <laughs> I, along with. I think But I'm, I am, I'm strong. I'm strong. Yes. And, um, you know, I mean, if you look at those really early inserts where she's playing that piano so terribly, mm -hmm. she is sweet and docile with Bert and Ernie. You know, she's very calm. But, yeah. but then I think what happened is that then I disappeared for a chunk of time. And yeah. when I came back, because I was acting, then when right. I came back, uh, they started writing for Prairie. And, uh, you know, even the inserts, like I'm remembering, she was she was sweet very early on. She did that thing with Frank, a monster piece theater, mm -hmm. and the, prairie, the house on Prairie. You know, all these cute little inserts. They, they did a lot of stuff together. But she was still sweet. But I think as I matured and came back and did her, I, I don't know. I think she just became a stronger character. I, I, I think one of the earliest times was when we did Singing in the Rain, which is one of my favorites of way back then. And they put her in a director's chair. Ah. And she had the megaphone. And she's, she gets very frustrated because every time uh, 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 Bert comes on doing rain, it's not rain and, and wind and it's not wind. And, and she gets more and more frustrated. And I think the writers saw that she was funny when yeah. she got frustrated. And I've always said it's not that she's bossy. She's just very sure of herself. Mm -hmm. And she's a perfectionist. 
Right. She wants things done perfectly. She does not tolerate sloppiness. Is this a little bit like Fran Bro? No, no, no. You, you no. do not. You're you're fine with sloppiness and and imperfection. Absolutely not. No, that is the part of me that just shot out. Yeah, and isn't that amazing? I mean, that is the kind of a common uh, through line yeah. for for performers is when you do a character long enough, part of you naturally of goes into the character. It has to. Of course it does, but that's you're what you've been acting. Real. That's why you can see Hamlet a hundred times, and it will be yeah. different every time because we as human beings are all different one from another. So, you know, anybody, I mean, Stephanie does a fantastic job with Prairie. Mm -hmm. She's, she's because she watched and, you know, would make fun of me for so, for so long. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I always would say she's not, she's not a bitch. She's, she's right. bossy. I mean, she's not bossy either. She just, it matters to her so much. That things be right. She's a little OCD, I guess. Yeah. I, I am really not OCD, but anything taken to an extreme is funny. That's how you do it. In the puppet world. Yes, that's what Jerry would say. It's like it's taking a little piece of yourself and just blowing it up. And that's right. that's the character. That's right. And if you can and if it's easy, it's really hard to force characteristics on you, you know, on yourself. You have to find yourself in any character you play as an actress. Or as a puppeteer, and when That's you right. do that, it's easy. If you if you force stuff, as I did when I first did Zoe, and I hit the stage, the sound stage, and I was just pushing because they wanted her spunky, and it was so much effort and flop sweat, you know, yeah. that I said, "This can't. This is. I'm doing something wrong. It can't be this hard. I have to find me in this. Not not." not uh, externally pull these things, these words like spunky, good playmate of Elmo, and she's really not a girl, she's more boyish or something like that, because she was very asexual. So, um, when so I what did you do? Down, what did you latch on to in yourself? I calmed down and forgot all about the notes, uh, you know, about the, the direction, and I said, and I... I, well, I, one thing I did is I took myself home and I just said, well, that can't happen again. <laughs> so, so I worked in the mirror more and I just tried to be more easy going with her. And, um, I helped me to, I would improvise with, uh, with Kevin who was doing Elmo and I realized I didn't have to, you know, I could just back off when you're pushing. That is so not good. That is so not good. I don't know. I think I just relaxed and I decided, I don't know, to just let more me, the joy in me come out and the curiosity in me come out and the, the happy little girl come out. And, uh, you know, I miss her. I really miss her. Yeah. I mean, sometimes around the house, I'll break into one of their voices, <laughs> you know, or talk to my husband like one of them. I'm sure you do yeah. that too. Don't you? Nope, never. No, never, never. <laughs> that is one of the questions that you get a lot as a, as a Muppet performer is people say, do you do the, do you ever do the voice at home? I, I, and I don't, um, maybe I do, and I'm just not aware of it, but well, my answer is usually no. I, I don't. Right. Well, I'll find myself going, people. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's different. <laughs> you know, uh, just something because I'm pr I'm pretty goofy actually at home. Uh, yeah, go goofier than you would think I am, and I go <laughs> into voices, you know, and, and sometimes I will say something. Oh gosh, I wish I could think of what I say. My husband, who tolerates all this, I, actually he's amused. <laughs> thank God. But, he is. Um, yes, he, Bob's he, a great guy. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, yeah, yeah, I miss those. I miss I miss doing them because. They're such a part of me yeah. as, as is with, to, to support what we're saying. They're not yeah. somebody else. They are, we they are, are you. channeling these people, these yes. characters. They're not, I'm not pulling this out of the air. And right. also the puppet tells you what it wants to be. I really think when you're doing it and you find yourself doing little cutie things with it or knocking yeah. your head or. And, oh, I didn't know I could do that with it. Oh, that I'm going to use that. You can put those right. in your little your little yeah. uh, bag of tricks and pull that. You know, I, it's a little like tennis. You get better at it. The more you do it, you know, That's the true. more you play tennis, the more you can correct what you're doing. The more you puppeteer, 
the better you get. Yeah, I would also say the more you observe, uh, whether it's yes. tennis or puppetry. Oh, you, absolutely. The more I observe, the more I feel like I can improve, no that matter what it is. so true. That is so true. Observing uh, others I, I, that are really good at it. You know? I learned from my other tennis players. I go, oh, wait, that's a really good, I see what she did, that sequence of shots. Yeah. Think she trapped me or whatever. Or she doesn't have, yeah, I don't have to bring my back, my hand back that far, the racket yeah. back that far. But, you know, we've got some close to geniuses on, on Sesame Street, you know, in terms of their ability, their manipulation, their amazing ability to create characters. This is la creme de la creme on That's Sesame right. Street. Yeah, it's yeah. the, it's the top of the peak. And, yeah. and having the ability as a performer, being able to just at least observe the other people around you in any situation, whether you're a puppeteer, whether you're a tennis player, whatever it is you do, and observe people that are good at that thing and and think how how can i use that how can i make that my thing in my way right. i think is important right but i i really think it is the same as acting the more yes. the more truthful you are as yourself and i i really learned this late in my life i think as an actress i think i was i don't know i think i i could have been a better actress many times if i had just plumbed myself I don't, I don't know if that's easy to understand or not but i know what you mean you're seeing a part that, that you know that's not me but i get to play that character right. well but really what in it is you that that's right. you can bring to it to make it like you said about hamlet you can see that a million times with a million different actors and it's right. all different and the more truthful they are to how they are in the moment the better mm -hmm. that performance is i mean you know, we've all seen those amazing, brilliant performances on the stage or yeah. TV now, my gosh. And you go, you know, and you think, wow, that was just an extraordinary performance. And it's because they really found that in themselves, you know, some some key that uh, unlocked the door. Yeah. Yeah. We remember those unique performances of whether they're actors or, or puppets or whatever they yes. are, because they are different. They are not what you expect in some way, even, even a tiny little way, but they right, a line reading, yes. a choice of a line reading, but puppeteering is so much harder because then you have to, you have to be able to manipulate these itty bitty little movements uh, to, to portray what this, this thing is feeling. And gosh, that's hard. It's hard to make it feel as real as it is when it is just this, you know. It's a piece of cloth. Yeah, and its eyes don't blink usually. And the, you can't, right. you have to, it's your, right. the tilt of your head or how you're looking or breathing right. or whatever it is through that it's character. It's the nuance. Yes. The nuance. And, uh, well, there are a lot of people, including you, young man, on the no. show who are so, so good at that. You we're know, we're very lucky to have such... I mean, really masters of they, they, the kind of puppetry. And we are we do consider ourselves actors, for sure. I'm going to push pause on our discussion about the subtleties of puppetry so that we can hear a song from Jerry Nelson. Uh, on his album, Truro Daydreams, this track is called Lazy Days, and in parentheses, it's called Bumblebees. And it features a full band and a background singers, and it's, it's beautiful. Here, however, is a lovely version with just Jerry and a guitar. Bumblebees buzzing Around a dozen or so Flowers growing on a vine I'm just strolling My mind's unrolling Life is good and I'm feeling fine Hey, Lordy, Missy Mama, hey, Lordy, Mr. Papa, look over yonder at that tree. Hummingbird flitting, chickadee sitting, just as happy as they can be. Old Mr. Coyote, he's got that hangdog look. You know you best watch out for him He's a joker and a crook Shadi-yada, 
Mr. Crow yelling at the old coyote. He knows he's been found. But let me give you a tip. Don't ever slip and let coyote catch you napping on the ground. Mr. Raccoon, just waiting for the moon to come peeking over the trees. He's got a date, he don't wanna be late, so don't delay him if you please. So fine, don't it make you want to shout? Don't try to refrain, no need to contain that joy. Come on and let it out. Life's a celebration, it's a dance of up and down. You get back double your investment. If you wear a smile and not a frown, shadiada. Bumblebees buzzing round a dozen, or so flowers growing on a vine. I'm just rolling, my mind's unrolling, life is good and I'm feeling fine. Life is good and I'm feeling fine. We are back with Fran Brill talking about puppetry and acting. There's a, there's another class for master class. All of a sudden, yeah. all these master classes with chefs <laughs> that's, now. That's right. Like every time I go to 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 something and the ad for master classes, there's there's somebody else now who's doing yes. it. You could you could do a could. master so, class in puppetry. Master class? Do you hear that? Yeah. I'm available. There you go. I don't know. You probably uh, just have to write to the producers. You might just, be. Yeah, that may be. I don't know. It's a that, fairly niche profession. There are a lot of these things on Masterclass. You're, you're Anna right. Winter, the editor oh. of Vogue, she's <laughs> got a Masterclass. What is she teaching? <laughs> sure. There were, there were several that I've just wow. seen lately when I went, really? Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. You would be surprised. Mm. Darn, I wish I could think of them. I know uh, Steve, on, Martin, I think Steve I Martin teaches comedy, which Who? total Steve Martin teaches comedy, which totally right. makes sense. That's uh, yeah, yeah. And I again, I saw um, a, a, an excellent chef, um, Keller, Thomas Keller. Ah. He he teaches a thing about cooking. Um, I can see that though. That makes sense to me because people yeah. want to know how to cook, and if they love this chef, that you can learn yeah. from him, and that's that's valuable. And there are a lot of people that like to make their food. There aren't a lot of people that like You know, to- it would be a young crowd, and probably yeah. the young crowd would not even know what master class is. They you might know, not. Kids in their teens, mm-hmm. or they, you know, who knows? Who knows? knows? We'll see. We'll, it, we'll, keep, we'll keep I would. Back. I would try to do that if I were you. The worst thing is they say no. You're right. You're right. I always do, do whatever, because I always say the worst thing is that it doesn't work out. You got to ride a horse that way. Was that the thing you said? <laughs> you can make it your own, Matt. <laughs> I, I think I just did. <clears throat> so let me see. What else do I want to talk to you about? Oh, I wanted to talk to you just briefly about as an actor. You've done uh, TV shows. You've done movies. Mm-hmm. You you did What About Bob that was directed by Frank Oz. 
and so my question, I guess, is uh, you worked with Frank as a fellow actor for long before he was a director of this film anyway. Your prairie dawn with his Cookie Monster for years. Right. But on a film, he's the big boss, right? Not to me. Not right. That's my question: Is no. what what, oh, no, what was, was he to you in that experience? Oh no, we, we, it was not at all. No, we were professionals for sure. Oh yeah. no, I never never would have goofed around with him while he was directing the film. It was a kind of a tense atmosphere anyway on the set. Did you feel like you had because you had worked together for so long that you had kind of a shorthand, even though? he's in a different yeah. position. Yeah. I mean, you know, he'll always just be frank to me, I know. Yeah. you know, regardless, but, uh, you know, I think I always looked up to Frank and Jim, of course, even though I worked besides them, I never felt like I was really their equal because they were just so far ahead of yeah. me so as performers. And it's know. Jim and Frank. I mean, come on. I know. But, yeah. Yeah. And you, you did, uh, you were part of uh, Muppet guys talking. Yes. And, and uh, what was that experience like? It is, uh, as a viewer, as a fan of Muppets and Sesame Street, and also as somebody that knows all of you and sits there and watches it, I loved it. Oh, good. Uh, I'm a little, I was a little disappointed in myself because Why? you've got three of the funniest men in the world in that box next to you. And to try to top them or even join in was very difficult for me. Uh, they are so quick. But Franny, just... you brought you to that. And you are very funny. I'm not saying that you're not. But if, if you're observing three guys trying to out, you know, ha-ha to each other. Exactly. There needs to be somebody that's the grounded. You're right. And I, that's what basically I said to myself, well, I've got to be me. So if yeah. I thought they were funny, I laughed uproariously. I'm a, I'm a great <laughs> audience. And yeah. they are so funny. You know, you really can't say who's funnier than who. But I must say, Bill Beretta, I have, I don't, I don't think anybody in the world makes me laugh as much as Bill Beretta. He we is did a funny, this funny man. Funny thing. We, I guess it was a home video. We must have been around where I guess it was, it was during the Iraq war and Elmo's dad went somewhere, somewhere. I, yeah. It was never said it was a rock or, you know, anywhere like that. But he was obviously on a base somewhere, you know, with like bunk beds or something. Yeah. And so he was doing a video chat with Elmo's mom and Elmo. You weren't there? Uh, I probably was there. Oh, but I okay. Can't well, Bill, being the naughty, crazy person that he is, every time he either flubbed or in between takes, he would say something outrageous <laughs> to Elmo's mom, who was me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I, right. I mean, I was laughing so hard, I was sobbing, you know? Yeah. I, had, I had flipped over into crazy town. <laughs> it, it was, I was on the floor laughing. Well, and you kind of need that. You kind of need that in them because you're creating this video for a very serious, specific yeah. purpose, and you right. kind of need to let out. But it's Bill. He's, yeah, it is he's Bill. Just he's insane. He's it insane is, yeah. and insanely funny, and and really doing all those those. Well, gosh, well, I guess it was. Yeah, no, I guess it was when we were pitching the movie to uh, the uh, video. We were doing all of these interviews in New York. I mean, I can't, I can't look at him half the time because he he's just so, it just comes out of his pores to be outrageous. He comes and there to play. He's there to play. Oh my gosh. And yet when it's time, you know, oh, yeah. take, take one, he's all there. Yeah. But anyway, he's, he's funny. So it was an utter delight. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, it was wonderful because we all got really close again I, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing something like that again. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope you guys do. Frank. Yeah, they're just great guys, great human beings. Dave is just a wonderful, wonderful person. Gosh, I'm crazy about Dave. They're all great. But, oh, to answer your question, yeah, I just, um, there was just no way. I knew that even if I tried to top them, they would drown me out. <laughs> and then I'd look at Frank all of a sudden in the corner and he'd be, his resting face is doer. Yeah. <laughs> and that does not help me either. If I catch him going, mm. 
you know, it was, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just, it, it, you just have to learn how to do that. But yeah. you're right. I had to be me. And the me is not this blabbermouth that I am with you right now. But, but we're, on, we're not just one me, really. Depending on the situation, I, f- I find that I'm a different me in different right. situations. What, whatever well, you know, it. I find that absolutely with different people. Mm-hmm. You know, how I, I'll always say to Bob, you know, I really like so-and-so who we just met. I felt like I was really me with her. Yeah. You know, yeah. because there are a lot of people that I'm not really me. I know. With. Yeah. I'm much funnier when I'm me, and I'm much, um, uh, you know, I'll say anything. I mean, I'll swear. <laughs> I'll just be outrageous. You do have the mouth of a sailor. I do have the mouth, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm guarded with other people. Yeah. I'm much more careful, reserved, guarded, and I don't have as much. I don't. I don't have a great time when I'm like that. I know. You yeah, know? It's, it's harder. It's easier to be your normal self. But if you feel that someone doesn't get you, that's the real thing: is get you. Yep. And uh, it's easier to be guarded. It's easier to kind of then just be. Yeah. Right. Not you or different right. you. Yeah. yeah. All right, Fran. I have some rapid fire questions that I'm going to ask you now. Okay. Just the first thing that comes to your head. Try to answer them. What if uh, something bad comes out? Uh, it, like what? I don't know. What like if, if I say curse? a naughty word or something? I, it, who cares? Well, people are listening to this. <laughs> well, then maybe I'll bleep it. I don't, I'm not yeah, sure maybe, yet. I, I don't know. So just be just be open okay. and free. So okay. and they they're all going to be kind of. You'll get it. You'll see what's happening. Okay, you ready? Yes. Here we go. What's the hardest part about being a puppeteer? Oh well, for me, the manipulation. What's the easiest? Uh, just coming up with a character on the spur of the moment. What is your biggest strength as a as an actor? Uh, ooh. As an actor. Well, you know, a puppeteer. puppeteer. You could be a puppeteer. It could be an actor. I'm just um, treating you as an actor. And well, you know, as a again, puppet, pu- puppeteering is so different because you're really stretching it to come up with something far fetched. Mm-hmm. While acting is almost the opposite. It's trying to find who you are and bring it into that character. I don't know. Ooh, what's the hardest thing for me? But to forget biggest, the camera when I'm an actress. Your biggest strength. Your biggest strength as, a, as oh, an actor. I was going to even, oh, the strength. Yeah, yeah, your biggest strength. Um, I don't have any. <laughs> you do, too. Here, I'll ask you this. What's your biggest weakness as a performer? Okay. Well, the weakness is that when I watch my puppeteering, I just I just cringe. And yeah. I want to do another take. And gosh, I could have done that better. Yep. And why was, was I not listening? Was I looking at the script? And uh, I, didn't, I didn't react in time, you know? Yeah. It, what it, it's, it's, it's almost it's, easier to improvise than, you know, I don't know if people know this, but on Sesame Street... The scripts are stuck to the monitors. So yeah. you're keeping the puppet alive over your head. You're looking at the monitor, but you're also reading the script. And, and sometimes your puppet isn't hearing because you're going, oh, what's my line next? You know? You're looking ahead to see what That's you got to right. say. So yeah. then when I see the playback, I'm like, oh, my God, I missed that moment. I wasn't listening to the other character. I know. Well, that's a fairly common thing to be, to you know, it's, it's really? that perfectionist thing. Absolutely. I thought it was just me. No. No, no, it is. It is. You're lying. I am not. No, every take, I'm like, I should have done it. I, why did I do that? I'm right. always why my worst. Why didn't I do that? Why didn't right? I do that? Yeah. Okay. What was one of your favorite things about being a Sesame Street Muppet performer? Oh, undoubtedly, the other puppeteers. Ah, I mean, uh, that, that show would not be fun without the other puppeteers. Yeah. It is hard, bloody work. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, really. They're the ones that keep you laughing. And you know that they're all going through what you're going through. And it's late. And the dust is in the air. The dust in the studio. My eyes would get so dry in there. Yeah. And I don't think there's been fresh air in there since 1969. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> it's a real camaraderie. It is like, it is a oh family. Oh my God. Well, it's funny, talented, bright people, you know, yeah. all, all in the same room together. It's like getting a great cast of actors and a wonderful director. It's yeah. just, you know, you just feel the creativity and the, you know. Yeah. So yeah, the puppeteers. Um, okay. That was probably the best part. All right. If you hadn't been a puppeteer or an actress, what would have been your career? You cannot say physician, <laughs> although maybe you maybe you will. 
I cannot imagine what else I would have been. I, I, I don't envision, I mean, I started so young that I don't know. I've also, I mean, I have thought it might be fun to be a sous chef in a oh. restaurant for like one night. Yeah, you know, just to test it out. <laughs> just to see what it's like. <laughs> what is that like? Uh, okay, so there are probably people listening who want to hear you tell them what they have to do to become a Sesame Street Muppet performer. What would it be? Give like one thing that they would need to do. Uh, they must be willing to take a risk. That's great. Good. Jerry Nelson, our mm, buddy, Jerry, he once yeah. said to me, Matt, Sesame Street's great, but... Always have something that is your own that you create that's for you. Wow. What is that for you, Fran? Wow. That was so wise of him. It was. Because he played the guitar. So he had his music, he I think. And he had this whole musical life. Yeah, a very separate life. What is that for you? Do you have something, would you say? Well, I, I love to cook. And I'm, I am a, and I am a very good cook. I, I am not ever intimidated by a recipe. I always figure it'll turn out fine anyway. I don't always follow the directions. I add this, I subtract that. Um, I have a very eager eater at home. Yeah. So whatever I make, he always likes. I mean, caveats <laughs> there, but uh, <laughs> so I would say that's kind of a hobby. I love playing tennis. That's something I wish I had gotten to earlier in my life, like when I was a child. Um, I have lots of things. Yeah, that's good. That's it. You've got a lot of things that you do, and that's all being creative. Cooking is certainly creative. Yeah, I like I like the beginning, middle, and end of cooking. I like the creativity. I like the colors, the textures. That to me is all like an opening night and then you put it on yeah. the table, you know? I love that analogy of it. I mean, it really is great because it, I, I didn't really look at it that way. It's for me, it's like, how you can cook? I get this stuff finished? No, you, not, you, not very much. Every once in a while I'll grill. Grill. Yeah. You know, that's, we'll do the, stuff that's like the manly that. answer. Right? I'll do that. And I, and I enjoy that and I want to get better at it, but I have to, mm -hmm. you know, put in the effort to do it. I also spend it. Well, no, I spend way too much time watching the nighttime comics and anything that's funny. I, I just, uh, they're keeping me alive. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I know. Oh man. Stephen Colbert. Great. Oh, so, so great. good. So good. And Seth Meyers is great. Seth Meyers is fantastic. Love, love Seth. Uh, these days I've been watching Fallon and Kimmel because I want to see what they're doing from home and yeah. they've been so delightful. Those shows. Yeah. They're, they're doing great work. It's yeah. it's tough in this time. You know, you could it'd be very easy to just throw up some reruns, I think, for a long time. Well, you're they're, right. They're just they're continuing on. They're keeping it alive and they're also keeping their writers and yeah, their, keeping people their, employed. You know, all of these other people they can they can earn a paycheck. Yeah. I think it's great. I do too. Do you know how much this is going to change the world, this pandemic? We haven't even mentioned the P word. You know, what is Sesame Street going to be like? I don't know. All those puppeteers. I know. We got to be on top of each other. Blob on the floor, legs over legs, your your nose yeah. in somebody's armpit. What is that? Is that crowd scene never going to happen like that again? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think we're all thinking, or we're not thinking about it. I think we're all thinking we're going to get past this and it's just right. going to be gone. But it, I think it'll be a long time before we can really, in reality, right. have it go back to how it was before. And you know what? Before you enter the studio, everybody's temperature will be taken. Yeah, I bet you're right. That's you know, probably a way of doing stuff it. Stuff like that. Um, yeah. But I did, I did think about Sesame Street and a, a situation where you have a crew mm -hmm. of a lot of people, production staff, and I performers know. all in a. It's a little bubble area. Yeah. A bubble of its own. It is, and I, I don't know how we're gonna. I don't know what we're gonna do. But we'll, uh, I guess we'll figure well, it out. Well, look at all this point. virtual stuff that's going on. Yeah. Maybe a lot of it will be that. Maybe. It is tough, though. I mean, it's hard to actually make it into something. Although we turned that thing around very quickly. We turned that special around super well, fast. It was remarkable. And I was thinking about how there weren't live hands there. No, there weren't. Carmen and... Mm -hmm. uh, the Count. Uh, the uh, Count. Um, Cookie, Mo Cookie Monster Cookie did have a live hand. Really? Yeah. I thought he got 
really close to he the did. camera with he him did. because he the pe because the audience wouldn't see that yeah. one arm was limp. No, Phoebe, uh, his daughter Phoebe was his right hand. Oh, really? So, That's yeah. great. It was really nice. Oh, can I yeah. give you a good Frank Oz memory? Yeah. Cookie Monster. Absolutely. Because when I was first hired, it wasn't like they immediately gave me, you know, a principal character. Mm -hmm. I was doing females, you know, J is for Jane and stuff like that. But I was right-handing, you know, at times for Ernie, at times for Cookie Monster. And my, and I mean, probably everybody that right-handed for Frank had the same situation, but, <laughs> you know, Cookie, here, well, here, so, yep. see, so Cookie Monster would be like this, and then, so every once in a while, I would kind of, you know, do a flourish to show how creative I could be right. with my right hand, <laughs> and he would just go yep. like that. Slap your hand on top of his hand. I love telling that story, oh. but I'm sure everybody would yeah. go. I think Peter Lenz has a similar story. Oh, he must. He yeah. must. I yeah, I think we all do. You know, Peter was the first assist for me with Prairie. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Up, up to then, G it was just you? It was just you doing everything? Or? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, think, I don't think anybody right-handed for me then, but Peter, I will always love him to pieces. Ah. He he's a great guy. So great. He'd come up with stuff and he'd give me yeah. ideas and oh, he was fantastic. Yeah, was, he is. Was, he's one of the best. Great just being down huddled with him. Yeah. He is one of the best. He's one of the best for sure. But you all are leading great lives right now, and that's wonderful. Yeah. You work we're very lucky. together as a group. And yeah. yeah. Brand Brill, thank you so much for talking with me. I, I had a great time hearing all about you. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, my pleasure. Totally mine. Believe me, it's just wonderful to be around you again, uh, even, in, even virtually. Even like this. Yes, I agree. That's Below the Frame. Please check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It makes us feel good. Our show today was produced by me. Our theme song is written by Stephanie DeBruzzo and performed by the Mighty Weaklings. Our podcast artwork was created by Dave Holteen at DaveHolteenDesign.com. Special thanks to Jan Nelson for giving me Jerry's stories and to Martin P. Robinson for sharing his memory and reading the words of our friend Jerry Nelson. My thanks to Fran Brill for being a part of this episode and to you, the fans, for listening. I am Matt Vogel, and we will see you next time when we go Below the Frame. Bye-bye. Go, go, go.